This episode contains depictions of violence that some may find triggering or disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. recording already yeah we are press record surprise long time no talk i know right my god how have you been this last day (laughs) it's been a rough 24 hours without you clearly um (laughs) no i'm i'm good i'm good just kind of tired it's a dude yeah it's, it's it's just the busiest time of year at least for me at work um yeah. You're probably busy busy gearing up for what's going to be my busiest time. Exactly. Yeah. Like we're 2 to 3 months ahead of y'all. So um <laughs> yeah, as a graphic designer, we are already putting together all the creative for all the different sales that are happening for Black Friday, for oh my Cyber God. Monday, for holiday sale for the winter sale that goes into like january and even early march it's so you know all the things that are going to be on sale um i know a few things not absolutely everything but i i do have some intel they don't tell us until like the day before oh interesting and then like there have been a couple times i've had someone call and be like this is on sale and i have to be like um hang on a second let me look that up oh yeah i should know that (laughs) It's kind of wild because the way that like e-com works, like there's certain things that just kind of like change depending on stock or mm-hmm. like map or whatever. Um, yeah. But anyways, yeah. So we're really, really busy on top of all of those sales assets that are coming down the pipeline. I'm also already starting the um, catalog for spring, summer 22. Ooh. I did get to see, they they did allow us to see the line coming out in spring. Oh, good. Uh, Yeah. No, we love where we work. It's just yeah. this, these next few months are going to be ridiculously busy. Oh, my God. Very, very busy. We're, I'm already busy. It's fine, though. Um, You know, life is, is still good. And I'm excited to share my story. I did a lot of research for it. <laughs> Good. So I'm like excited to finally just unload. <laughs> well, I'm excited. I'm ready. Well, also, um, you're welcome, listeners, because this is a double episode day. Our listeners oh, yeah. episode and our regular episode, they're releasing both on the same day. So you get two episodes in one day. On time. <laughs> and who said 13 was an unlucky number? I think I think ancient Christians did. Yeah, well. I think that's how that started. Well, there's some cultures that find that see 13 as a lucky number. Exactly. Yeah. Um do we have any Patreon shoutouts to do? We do. Let me pull them up. Yay. Okay. Yes, we have three Patreon shoutouts. Awesome. We our first two are are top tier patrons 
Um, I mean, you're all equal to us. I'm just saying, like, you'll at least get that credit if you pick it. Um, we have Sarah and Tess as two of our newest, as well as Stephanie. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Sarah, Tess, and Stephanie for your generosity, for your support. Um, we love y'all. Thank you for helping us make this show happen. Yes, we love you. We're hoping to someday cash in on that, um, all those payouts that we have yet to actually like cash in on from Patreon. <laughs> we'll buy us a trip to New England. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh my god, we could, Laura, it could just be like me and you, and we'll have like a spooky moon. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. We can just run off and then, you know, just sporadically post on our stories and make our men jealous. It's fine. (laughs) Oh my god, Graham would be supremely, especially because that's, as we've mentioned before, that's where he would, it's not where he'd like to move, it's just he wants to move, and that's the only option. (laughs) If it's not here. <laughs> but I mean, there's some pretty cool. Pl- I just saw someone do a video about um, a tour they took in Maine. Oh, it's the Stephen cool. King tour. Oh, cool. And, like, I really, really want to do it. That's away from like Massachusetts, where I think like when you think New England and spooky time, that's where mm. everyone, you know, kind of where their yeah. mind goes. I, I get it. Um, but oh yeah, I go to Maine. That sounds really cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm low key trying to slowly convince Gavin for us to maybe honeymoon in New England Ooh. because it'll be October. We're getting married. Exactly, we're getting married in October. It's yeah. gonna be beautiful over there. Mm-hmm. Um. But I have yet to convince him. We'll just have to maybe do it for an anniversary trip. I think he wants to do something like tropical for our honeymoon which is fine um we have options but new england i have a huge crush on you i i don't actually that just gave me idea next year is our five-year wedding anniversaries (gasps) i feel like that's a good enough year to to do something yeah it's a great milestone there you go an award all right should we get into it let's do it make it nice and creepy Everyone turn off your lights. (laughs) (laughs) Prepare to be scared. (laughs) Wear a diaper. No, um, I have true crime Mm -hmm. today. And um, you did a kind of abduction case last time. I'm also doing an abduction case. This one was pretty major. No, not alien abduction. Just kidding. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. And then the aliens murdered them. I mean, who knows? Someday. (laughs) I mean, let's see, right? Well, according to Demi Lovato, we shouldn't be calling them aliens. I I can't really with Demi Lovato anymore. I was very much on their side for so long with so many things that they went through. They've gone kind of haywire, no? A bit. The rants about the small business and how they worded their... Like, I, I get, like, it, there's, there's got to be a part of them that is just so honestly wanting good to come from what they yeah. do and say, but. Uh, but it falls yeah. off. Like, it falls oddly. Yeah. Um, I've been a Levotic for years. 
Um, not so much anymore. Obviously, they aren't super, super relevant with their music, mm-hmm. as in past years. Um, and they have an amazing voice. Oh my god, the most amazing voice. Yeah. I want them to make more music, but it's just, I don't know. I'm just on the fence. It's just kind of weird. It's good, just kind of getting weird. Anyways, yeah. back to this abduction case. So this is like a child abduction case that I'm covering today. Okay. And I am covering the abduction of Natasha Campush. Okay. This one um, occurred in Europe. So I'm not sure if many of us will remember it. Um but it was a huge deal in Austria. Austria. So this takes place okay. in Austria. Uh, it was a huge, huge deal. Um, it was equivalent to, what's her face? Something smart. Elizabeth Smart. Elizabeth Smart, thank you. I almost said Stephanie Smart for some reason. Elizabeth Smart, like how it was like, just kept, or even like this Gabby, current Gabby yeah. Petito case, just captivating our nation. This it was equivalent Mm -hmm. in the um, late nineties. So we start our story in Strasshof, which is a prosperous suburb of Vienna, Austria. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Um, But unbeknownst to the Strasshof, Strasshof residents from 1998 to 2006, Natasha Campush was imprisoned here in a small, dark, and damp cell. Oh. So, Natasha was raised by her mother, Brigitta, um, last name Sierney, and her father, Ludwig Koch, in Vienna, Austria. Um, Brigitta and Ludwig separated while Natasha was still, like, a small kid. Um, but she did still spend time with both of them. Um, and actually, the day before her kidnapping, she had just returned back home to her mom's because she was just on vacation in Hungary with her dad. Mm-hmm. So they were really, you know, amicable. Like, they were good on, like, sharing custody and stuff. Um, in the documentary, Natasha can push the whole story, which you can watch on Netflix. Um, Natasha recalls her mother once saying... Never part after an argument because something could happen to one of us and we'd never see each other again. And then, like a straight-up premonition from her mom, it happened. Oh. So on March 2nd, 1998, 10-year-old Natasha left for school in Vienna's Donnerstadt district. She never walked to school alone. And this was the first day her mom let her walk alone. That's... That's not a good feeling. Right? Like, it's... I'm sorry for any parents out there. It's, like, yeah. parent nightmare fuel. Yeah. Um, but just, like, like fuck, what are the odds, right? Right. Um, her mom watched her leave the home from a window, and um, Natasha was walking towards a shopping center around in the corner, and that was the last time her mom saw her before the abduction. Natasha was almost halfway to school when she spotted a man standing next to a van, um, a white van ahead of her, and it seemed like he was kind of waiting for somebody. So something to know about Natasha. Um, Even though what was laying ahead of her was, you know, horrific, she wasn't having the best time currently either. 
Okay. Like, I'm going to say she was obviously better off. Like, this was controversial. People were saying as if the kidnapper saved her from her situation. That's very extreme and bullshit. Yeah. She's obviously better with her parents. But, but apparently her parents were verbally abusive to her and did oh. occasionally slap her. Okay. And she was deeply depressed. She was fantasizing suicide. Mm. And she had become a compulsive eater. Okay. And in fact, her last moments of freedom were actually spent fantasizing about suicide. Oh, God. She was thinking about throwing herself in front of a car and then thinking like, and then mom will be sorry, you know? Mm -hmm. And her gut told her to cross the street with this guy ahead of her, but she decided to continue straight ahead anyway. And as she walked closer to him, he approached her grabbed her, and dragged her into his van. Natasha recalls wanting to scream and even even trying to um, open her mouth Mm -hmm. to scream, but nothing came out. She says her voice box froze. No sound came out from how terrified she was. The kidnapper told her that as long as she stayed quiet and still, that he would not hurt her, but she's thinking, oh my God, this is it. I'm going to die. Right. Um, she could still see out of the van's window, and she actually recognized the poles and street lamps as they passed them, and kind of actually knew more or less where she was. Like, everything looked familiar. Mm-hmm. So the van pulled up to the kidnapper's garage. She was taken out of the vehicle, wrapped in a blue blanket, and um, he carried her inside. He placed her in a cell that was attached to the garage and accessed through um, a trap door and then a cupboard and left her on the floor in the dark. That first day of her abduction, the kidnapper brought her a mattress that was only five centimeters thick and made of foam rubber. She only had the same blue blanket to keep her warm and she used her own jacket as a pillow. He then took her school bag, um, saying kind of paranoid that, like, she might have a tracking device, which, like, dude, and the what 10-year-old has a tracking device, but it speaks to the paranoia and the mental illness of this man. I mean, nowadays, and he, took he her probably sh- would have. Some right. Or, like, ni- 1998? No. Mm, not likely. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, he also took her shoes, and he burned the school bag and shoes a few days later, telling her that she wouldn't be needing them anymore. Meanwhile, back at home, Natasha's mom, Brigida, was getting worried when Natasha didn't show up when she was supposed to after school. She was known for being super prompt. She always arrived on time. She was never late. So after a while, Brigida got very worried and she called the school, which informed her that Natasha had never arrived at school that day. Which is why these days, if your kid doesn't show up, you now get an automatic call from the school yes, letting you, you know. Yep. That, like, I, that was my question. I'm like, why didn't the school, like, call? They didn't care back if then. If she was, like... They weren't... I mean... Nowadays, the yeah. kid's out and they're like, oh, we need an excuse, otherwise we don't get paid. Right. Well... Oh, squeaky chair. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so that's, of course, when Brigitte was like, holy shit, she's feeling like she's about to faint, and she calls the police. Um, she just knows that something must have happened to her daughter, obviously. Yeah. 
A massive search is launched by police starting at the housing estate where Natasha lives and they start receiving tips. Soon the police find evidence of an abduction. They had a witness. At around 7.20 a.m. on March 2, 1998, a 12-year-old girl said she saw another girl matching Natasha's description wearing the same red anorak jacket um, being forced into a white truck parked on the right side of the road. A massive police effort followed in which 1,520 owners of white minivans were questioned across the country, as well as looking into 650 other people, which included a man from Strasshof, half an hour from the center of Vienna. The man's name was Wolfgang, his last name, um, Priklopil. And he truly was a preclopil. Unless that translates to something pretty, but. <laughs> but I'm just saying he was a prick. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, he was un- an unmarried 35-year-old communications technician. He had no criminal record. He was an only child. And after the death of his father, he developed a very intense relationship with his mother. He was known to have very high standards for women. They had to be very well-groomed, slender, and blonde. And the house he took Natasha to was built by his grandfather, Oscar uh, Preclopil, after World War II. During the Cold War period, Oscar and his son Carl built a bomb shelter thought to be the origin of Natasha's cellar prison. Uh, mm -hmm. Wolfgang Preclopil took over the house in 1984 following his grandmother's death. Soon after the kidnapping, uh, Priclopil was questioned by two investigators. Um, during the visit, his white van was looked into and it was full of rubble from a building site and he claimed to have been at home on the day of the crime, but he had no one to confirm his alibi. The police were like, okay, cool, yeah. And they had no probable cause to search his house, so they just took some Polaroids of his truck, wrote a report, and filed it. Police would receive another tip about Wolfgang Priklopil eight days after his first questioning. The police informant was actually a police dog handler who lived in Strasshof. He described his neighbor who owns a white van, is a loner who has a lot of surveillance equipment on his house, and is thought to have a sexual interest in children. Pedophile. This, yeah. This informant would actually call the police repeatedly to have Priclopil looked into further, but the police did their digging. He wasn't registered as a sexual offender. Obviously, there was no criminal record. There was nothing suspicious found during the initial questioning, so they again just wrote a report and filed it. Um, speculations in the media arose of, like, child pornography rings or organ theft, and it actually even led officials to um, investigate possible links to the crimes of French serial killer Michel Fourniret. Oh. But obviously it wasn't him, yeah. but that's interesting. Look into him maybe for a future true crime episode. Mm -hmm. At, and actually, Natasha had just been on that um, vacation with her dad, right? Mm -hmm. Apparently she still had her passport on her person. So then they widen the search abroad because they're like, oh, my God, she had her passport. She could be anywhere. Right. <laughs> um, if if they took advantage of that and, you know, had her travel. 
And there were even accusations against Natasha's family, which complicated the issue even more. So in July of 2002, a private investigator develops his own theories about Natasha's disappearance and launches a campaign against how the police handled the investigation, saying they made many mistakes and they did a poor job. As a result, over 120 files have to be transferred to a new police commission, which caused a huge administrative mess, apparently. And the P.I. was claiming that Natasha's mother, Brigida, was having an affair with a businessman and that Natasha was in the way. So they murdered her and buried her in a pond on his property. I, I honestly, I didn't look into how he gathered this information or, or this theory. Uh-huh. Right. But the P.I. was very insistent and he already had like all these media people backing him because he had launched that like right. media campaign against them. So the police cave, they investigate the area. Um, but of course, they didn't find anything. Mm-hmm. So no lead, no successful leads. There's pressure building to find Natasha. The police decide to tap her mom's phone, hoping that maybe the kidnapper would try to get in touch. Unfortunately, Natasha's family had many, many people calling them as a hoax, claiming to be the kidnapper, none of them actually being um, Priclopio. Mm-hmm. During the eight and a half years of her captivity, Natasha was held in a small cellar underneath uh, Priclopio's garage beneath a disguised trap door. Now, if you watch that documentary on Netflix, um, it does show footage of the actual house. Oh. And you can actually see um, inside, like, the cell. And it's quite the trek, even, to get into her cell. So, there's the garage. There's the trap door. Once you go down below through the trap door, there's, like, this basement area. And then there's this really heavy cupboard that has to be moved aside in order to access the door that leads to the cell. So this steel door, behind it is a half meter thick wall that's been hollowed out. To enter it, you have to crawl in backwards into the hole because the space that you get into is so tight. Yikes. Like, it's like this... Okay, so you move the cupboard aside, and there's, like, the steel, like, door... You go through a meter and a half, and then there's another huge-ass steel and concrete door at the end of that little kind of, I guess, almost like a tunnel. Yeah. And the reason why you have to crawl in backwards is because you can't, like, go in forward. It's such a tight space Mm -hmm. that it's hard to, like, get in and stand up easily. So then after crawling through, you have to close this 150 kilo or 110 pound steel and concrete door behind you. Finally, you turn left to open the double wooden doors and step down into a five square meter cell. Yikes. The room had no windows and was soundproof. A business partner of Priclopil, who worked with him on home renovations, recalls that before the kidnapping... Priclopil once asked him how he could effectively install sound insulation to reduce the noise of a hammer drill. He told him that concrete is a good insulator for voices, but that rock wool would be the best thing to suppress the sound of a hammer mill. 
He was horrified and disturbed when it was revealed in the crime scene investigations that Preclopil used his exact recommendations when constructing the cell. Ooh. Yeah, that's mm. another not good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the Netflix documentary, Natasha estimates that it, quote, it probably took him a, uh, an hour or so to open the cell. If he was working fast or he hadn't locked everything, it was a bit less. The effort was enormous, pushing everything aside and opening everything up. If anything had happened to him or he had been taken ill, he'd never have it have got it open. I would have been sealed up like an Egyptian pharaoh, unquote. Oh, and I highly recommend that people watch um, Natasha Campush, the whole story, simply just for the fact of they show you the process of how you get right. to her cell. And it's like, it's, it's very odd to describe just, um, you know, <laughs> through a podcast. Yeah. Like it helps to see it visually. Like it's insane. Um, so during her captivity, Natasha reported that her captor would come to see her every day and eventually, um, installed an intercom system, which, he actually just used to verbally abuse her over. Um, but she also used it if, like, she had some sort of need, and sometimes he would appease her. Um, eventually, Preclopil installed a timer for the lights so they would be on and off at certain times, like in a schedule. And this actually helped stabilize Natasha's circadian rhythm. It was like it went haywire, her internal clock, obviously, because right. she's just in the dark. She has no idea if it's daylight or nighttime. Oh. She has no idea if she's been up two days or just two hours. Like, her sense of time is gone. Right. So this did help um, stabilize the circadian rhythm, but she still didn't really know sometimes when it was nighttime and when it was daytime for a while. It was humid and wet in her small cell. The sink faucet constantly dripped and mold was an issue. There were also many insects in the room and it had a very musty smell not to mention, it got cold. Um, Preclopil had a ventilator in there to get airflow into the room, but the loud sound of it was torture to Natasha. According to an interview with The Guardian, um, he, in the beginning, he brought her fancy croissants and expensive toys like train sets. Um, and as a coping mechanism, she says she regressed psychologically to the age of a dependent toddler. Mm-hmm. But then his gifts to her became random and less thoughtful. Um, quote, he began giving me presents like mouthwash and scotch tape, she says. Still, I was very happy to get those presents. I was happy to get any present, even if it was orange juice, unquote. At one point, he told her he was an Egyptian god, and she decided that the oh. easiest thing to do would be to go along with it. Like, she's mm-hmm. like, this guy's batshit. She knew it. But I'll yeah. just, yeah, I'll just go along with it. Um, And she said, quote, in situations when I was being bathed, I pictured myself being at a spa. When he gave me something to eat, I imagined him as a uh, I imagined him as a gentleman that he was doing all this for me to be gentlemanly serving me. I thought it was very humiliating to be in that situation, unquote. Yeah. So she kind of just decided to go along with it as a way to detach and cope. Yeah. For the first six months of her captivity, she was not allowed to leave the chamber at any time, and for several years of her captivity, she was not allowed to leave the tiny space at night. By her early teenage years, she found being a compliant character in his psychotic delusions more difficult, 
and so she began fighting back with small acts of rebellion. She adamantly refused, for instance, to call him maestro. And, um, you know, so he's like upset. She's no longer docile and compliant. Mm -hmm. And so unfortunately, he decides that the solution was to break her completely and then remold her. Um, after Priclopeel felt that she was too afraid of him to try to run away, she was allowed upstairs more and more and eventually got access to the rest of the house. But he made sure that everything was locked so she couldn't get out. He even activated the electric blinds that covered the windows into nearly a blackout. Like, he nice. had, like, intense, like, lockdown surveillance mm-hmm. shit. Um, and, of course, each night she was sent back to the chamber to sleep. Um, and she was also sent in there whenever Priclopil was away at work. Um, but her time out of the cell was by no means enjoyable. Priclopil essentially made Natasha into his slave, doing household chores, making her cook for him, caring for him when he was sick, also, you know, doing sexual acts, raping her, abusing her. Um, she says, quote, he wanted to show more and more that he was stronger than I was that I was someone who had to obey without question, unquote. He began persistently and violently beating her up, denying her food, keeping her in darkness for long stretches, and on and on. He constructed in that intercom um, where he could, sometimes would just lie awake all night yelling insults at her from his bedroom upstairs. Mm-hmm. He also somehow managed to keep her presence in the home a secret from both his mother and grandmother, um, and as well as, as his coworkers and friends that were over every so often, none of them had reported seeing anything unusual at all. No one suspected a thing. Um, Wolfgang Priclopil was known to be very frugal, even though he made pretty good money and often let Natasha starve. This added to the torture and kept her too weak to escape. Before feeding her, he would show her all the food they had in the house. Then after preparing a meal would only give her tiny pieces to eat. And he would tell her that because, you know, she's just in that little cell. She doesn't move around that much that she didn't need anything more than what he gave her. Uh, Dietmar Ecker, Natasha's media advisor, said that Priclopil, quote, would beat her so badly that she could barely walk, unquote. And to this day, she has bodily injuries that will never fully heal. Her BMI had reached as low as 14.8 during captivity. And just frame a reference, normal BMI is 18.5 to 24.9. Natasha says that a driving force for her survival was having her 18-year-old self appear to her in a vivid vision. She told her, quote, I will get you out of here. I promise you. Right now you are too small. But when you turn 18, I will overpower the kidnapper and free you from your prison, unquote. Wow. Uh, prick- huh? I said, wow. Yeah. Insane, right? Mm-hmm. Really intense. Um, so Priclopil was also known to be a bit of a compulsive neat freak, probably had some undiagnosed OCD or something. When he allowed Natasha to venture out from her cell, he would wipe down any surfaces she might have touched. And he would punish her, not only because he didn't want her fingerprints to be found in his house, but because he hated the look of fingerprints on his household surfaces. He wouldn't let her cry. This this part's insane. He wouldn't let her cry. And if she did, 
he would grab her by the throat and drag her to the bathroom and held her head over the sink until she stopped crying because he didn't want the hydrochloric acid in her tears to corrode his tiles. Right. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. In later years, um, she was seen outside in the garden alone. Priclopeel's business partner and best friend has said that Natasha seemed relaxed and happy when Priclopeel and she dropped, uh, dropped by to borrow a trailer from him. Um, but when Natasha recalls this encounter, um, she says that she wasn't sure she could trust him since he was clearly Priclopeel's best friend. She thought he could be some sort of accomplice, so she did nothing too afraid to get into any trouble. After her 18th birthday, she was allowed to leave the house with Priclopeel, but her kidnapper threatened to kill her if she made any noise. He later took her even on a skiing trip to a resort near Vienna for a few hours. She initially denied that they had made the trip, but eventually admitted that it was true, although she said that she had no chance to escape during that time. According to Natasha's official statement after her escape, Priclopeel and she would get up early each morning to have breakfast together. He gave her books, so she educated herself. He even helped tutor her. Um, she did not feel that she had missed anything during her imprisonment, but she noted, I spared myself many things. I did not start smoking or drinking, and I did not hang out in bad company. But she also said it was a place of despair. Yeah, It's kind of you know interesting when you hear her describe she goes back and forth mm-hmm. where she you know realizes the horrors that she's been put through but also you can see kind of the stockholm syndrome come through to her even to this day when she talks in interviews it's well, very interesting and i bet it's not even just that but i would assume there could be some sort of protection um subconsciously of if if she were to admit that it was all bad all the time, mm. that yeah. despair, I can't imagine what that would feel like. And let me tell you, when you you hear her in interviews, she's very, very inspiring. And she's like, for someone who missed out on eight years of education, someone, I mean, she did try to educate herself while she was imprisoned. She kind of is wise by, beyond her years. She's very, very articulate. People often commented that they were astounded by her vocabulary. She had very advanced vocabulary, even for her age when she after she escaped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was given a television and radio to pass the time, although she was initially only allowed to watch taped programs and listen to foreign radio stations so that she would not be aware of the publicized search for her. At one point, she did try to escape by jumping out of a car. Um, She says that he would almost always make sure, though, that when they were out, she was carrying something heavy or there was some other reason she just couldn't just like run. Mm -hmm. Um, Priclopeel said he would kill anyone she spoke to or he'd kill her or anyone who'd seen her. It pretty much left her pretty hopeless. Um, He also warned Natasha that the doors and windows of the house were booby trapped with high explosive, which was not true, of course, Mm -hmm. but... How is she supposed to know if that's true or not? Right. He also claimed to be carrying a gun and that he would kill her and the neighbors if she attempted to escape. Um, nevertheless, Natasha on one occasion fantasized about chopping his head off with an axe, although she quickly dismissed the idea. Oh, well. 
She also tried to make noise during her early years of captivity by throwing bottles of water against the walls. There is just no way, though. She was so deep below ground. That thing was so freaking soundproof. Right. Um, she said that on trips out with Prickle Peels, she had attempted to attract attention but was unsuccessful. Um, in one car ride, they actually were stuck in a traffic jam because there was a police checkpoint. And that when it came time for them to pull up to the policeman, um, she tried to communicate with her eyes to the policeman that she was in trouble. But she says that the guy probably thought she was mentally disturbed or mm. had a weird tick or something because he didn't suspect anything and just let them right through. Right. Um, meanwhile, throughout the years, Natasha's mother insisted that she was still alive, even when people suggested she hold a memorial or commemorate a grave for her. Brigitte recalls that the first few years after the disappearance, she would bake a cake on Natasha's birthday to help keep her alive in her Mind, I would even keep that cake on the counter in the kitchen for weeks and weeks until it's finally spoiled. Uh, the 18-year-old Natasha did finally escape, though, from Preclopil's house on August 23rd, 2006. At 12.53 p.m., she was cleaning and vacuuming his van in the garden because he was planning to sell it. And he was like, all right, make sure that this is spotless. Um... And that's when he got a call on his cell phone. Because of the vacuum's loud noise, he walked away to take the call. He'd also accidentally left the garden gate unlocked. This was it. This was her chance. And she seized it. Natasha left the vacuum cleaner running and ran away, unseen by Priclopil, who completed the phone call without any sign of being disturbed or distracted. Natasha ran for about 200 meters through neighboring gardens and a street, jumping fences and asking passersby to call the police, but they paid her no attention, thinking she was kind of like this crazy person. Yeah, right. And she did say, she's like, I was extremely pale and extremely gaunt, and right. they probably thought I was like a tweaked out homeless person. Um, after about five minutes of running around, she knocked on the window of a 71-year-old neighbor known as Inga T, saying, I am Natasha Kampush. And the neighbor called the police, who arrived at 1.04 p.m. Later, Natasha was taken to the police station in the town of Deutschwagram. Natasha was identified by a scar on her body, by her passport, which was found in the room where she had been held, and by DNA tests. She was in good physical health, although she looked pale and shaken and weighed only 48 kilos, which is 106 pounds. She had weighed 99 pounds when she disappeared eight years earlier. Mm -hmm. um, so in eight and a half years, she only put on seven pounds. Crazy. Um, she grew only 15 centimeters or 5.9 inches during her captivity. Natasha had escaped just in time. While investigating the home of Volkan Priklopil, it was discovered that Priklopil was actually trying to procure false papers as a Czech citizen to begin a new life with Natasha elsewhere. Oh. Yeah, so he was he was prepping for a trip. That's, like, why he was selling the car and right. stuff. Like, it kind of all lines up. Uh, once Priclopil realized that Natasha had escaped, and knowing that the police would easily find him, he killed himself by laying himself on train tracks, the train running over his head, decapitating him. 
she did dream of cutting his head off so right there's that yeah natasha said of her kidnapper that while she knew all that he did to her was horrible and wrong that she mentally survived those eight and a half years through forgiveness otherwise she would have been filled with too much hate to go on and this quote this is also from the documentary it's a little long but it just wow it shows i think just like her compassion Mm -hmm. towards her kidnapper and um This is how she says that she got through. So she says, quote, the kind of crime he committed is usually the result of some illness or injury, and a person can't usually do anything about an illness. But this criminal had a conscience. He still had a conscience. He was aware on some level of what he was doing. You could see he was weak and unstable. He had become so unstable that he saw the kidnapping as a solution to his problems. It didn't matter what the problems really were or how he thought this could help, but he did see it as a solution. That actually made me feel pity and compassion for him, because many people are looking for the meaning of their lives, and many fail. Some commit suicide. Others take a wrong turn. And and he thought that if life hadn't given him what he wanted, he must take it by force. He felt that he must become like everything that had injured him and made him ill. Unquote. So after the escape um, and all, of course, the news breaking out that she was discovered, Natasha Kampusch became a media star overnight and the missed tip from the police dog handler caused a political storm. Um, It came to light that there were cover ups from um, the many mistakes that police had made. And actually, two years later, the the Austrian government at the time would. Would like end i guess Mm -hmm. um so she kind of sparked like a political shift in austria um in her tell-all interview after her escape she stated that quote i mourn for him unquote speaking of her kidnapper wolfgang Priklopil, and obviously she was like the country's like darling and sweetheart and when she said this all that admiration turned into disgust and confusion she began getting hate mail um, and she got a lot, a lot of flack for showing that compassion towards him. Um, Kampusch did uh, write a book about her, her ordeal called 3096 Days, uh, which published in September 2010. And it was adapted into a movie of the same name in 2013. On August 12, 2016, Natasha Kampusch released her second book titled 10 Years of Freedom. And Natasha actually now owns the house in which she was imprisoned, saying, I know it's grotesque. I must now pay for electricity, water, and taxes on a house I never wanted to live in. It was reported that she claimed the house from Priclopil's estate because she wanted to protect it from vandals and being torn down. She also noted that she has visited it since her escape. In January 2010, Natasha said she had retained the house because it was such a big part of her formative years, also stating that she would fill in the cellar if it ever sold, adamant that it will never become a macabre museum to her lost adolescence. In 2011, she did have the cellar filled in, but Natasha still owns the house to this day. And that's the story of the abduction of Natasha Kampusch. Dang. It's, it, it really is interesting to hear her what she has to say now leaves yeah. me with very mixed feelings. I don't know yeah. if mixed is right. Very 
uncertain feelings, I guess. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine being, um, you know, abducted and held prisoner for eight and a half years. Yeah. And when you're in that kind of situation, you do what you can to survive. Mm-hmm. It affects you psychologically so much. And for such a long amount of time to have to rely on somebody for your survival she was completely dependent on him mm-hmm. and he was also the only human other than like you know the odd outings here or there that she interacted with constantly right. for eight and a half years um i can imagine that it was hard not to know him mm-hmm. and to understand him and i mean i wouldn't be surprised if she liked him or loved him or or grew to under at least you know to have that understanding to have that kind of compassion i mean it really sounds like you know a kind of like she's a bigger person mm-hmm. it does show maybe like people want to be like well why don't you just fucking hate him he was evil and i agree mm-hmm. what he did was fucking evil right and it doesn't all of his times that he was sweet to her doesn't just erase all the horrible things that he did to her yeah um but that's just how she has grown to maintain her own like mental stability. I think she still struggles. Like yeah. if she faces perhaps it's my speculation, of course, but if she faces just how horrible and how wrong it was, what happened to her, she might not be able to hold it together. And you often yeah. see her, I mean, she's been in the media so much and you see a lot of kind of contradictions where she will be very like, I'm owning how horrible this is. And then suddenly being, extremely sympathetic to Priclopeal. And I'm sure that's a very, very hard thing to wrestle with, and I can't imagine having to carry that as a person. Yeah, it reminds me just a touch of like someone who's in a very abusive relationship who's still trying to be Mm -hmm. like, you know, these horrible things happen, yes, but like, I still care for them, I still have, you know, Mm -hmm. these feelings for them, and it's like you might, but like Ideally, you get out of that. I mean, obviously, different situation completely, but um, it just reminds me, like I said, a touch of it. Yeah. But, you know, in the end, as soon as she got her her real chance, like a foolproof chance, she left. Yeah. Because she had many, like, quote unquote, chances, but they were very high risk. Yeah. Like that situation where he just happened to step away and he trusted her Mm -hmm. not to run off. And he probably maybe just accidentally, absentmindedly left that gate unlocked because he usually locked it up and also put very, very heavy objects on it so that she couldn't just try to open it or whatever. Right. Everything aligned and she fucking seized that opportunity. Yeah. And how old is she today? But yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, okay. She if was what, she 10 and was... 98? Yes, she was 10 and 98. Okay. And according to my very complicated um, <laughs> cal- calculations, she's 33. Okay. So she's a year younger than me. I can't imagine yeah. having been abducted at the age of 10, being let out, let out at 18. I mean, I could see, yeah, I would have been kept from a lot of things that happened during that time period. But Yeah. I mean, wild to think, like, she had almost as much time with him as she did her family before she was abducted. Right. By the end of it, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's just really, really wild. Yeah. Poor thing. Oy. 
Well, are we ready to move on to something spooky? Yeah, let's do the fun stuff now. Okay. (laughs) I'm actually going to share this. I forgot to do that before, just because there there are some pictures. Okay. Mm. You got it? I'm intrigued by the name of it. Content still loading. Okay. I was really looking for okay. something with like stories, like someone who sat and just like wrote stories. But this is a type mm-hmm. of place where if someone has a story, it is a YouTube video instead. <laughs> oh, <laughs> or it has been on TV because this place has been in right. a number of uh, paranormal shows. Zach Bagan has okay. been here. So I'm covering... <gasps> The Ancient Ram Inn. Um, I love that name. I know. It sounds like mythical, almost astrological. I love it. Let's get into it. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> okay. So the Ancient Ram Inn is often called the most haunted house in Britain, but it wasn't always Ooh. a house, hence the name Inn, Ancient Ram Inn. Mm. So this historic inn, it, it does happen to be the oldest building in Watton Under Edge, which is a small village in England, about 40 minutes from Bristol, if any of you happen to know where that is. <laughs> but before the building's constructions, uh, the ground was actually thought to be, now this is what paranormal community has said, that it was uh-huh. a pagan burial ground, or really just pagan land because this is well, wasn't all of your england land <laughs> yes what are you what are we talking about you'll see throughout this every single source i found cited the same type of words so uh, okay paranormal community needs some assistance when it comes yeah. to this but they love anyway. sensationalizing things like that they really do but the reason they thought that it was a pagan burial ground was because in 1997, there were some skeletal remains found of a Hmm. woman and a child that were, I don't remember the year that they figured out, but very, 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 very old. Um, They were discovered under the floor of the inn. So there is is something there. Um, And an iron dagger was found laying within their bones. So this kind of sparked rumors that the bodies were actually victims of a human sacrifice ritual because that's what pagans did. <sighs> but really, I mean, they could have been murdered and that's yeah. just how they died. It could have mm-hmm. been, it could have been a burial and that was like a special dagger. It just it could have been either or. Yeah. Like but, they put that item with them to be buried. And then as they deteriorated, it fell into their bones. Like you never know. You never know. So, and they actually, um, I included a little picture there. They've kept that site unearthed within the inn. There's like a little cross there. Shit. Um, And so this connection between the supposed uh, pagan burial grounds has given rise to a legend that the strange paranormal happenings documented on the property relate to its ancient pagan past. But, Hmm. <laughs> we'll see why I disagree with that. Yeah. But uh the building that stands there today was constructed in 1145. Oh my god. Like so there are buildings ancient. this old still standing. It always baffles me. Like I know that there's even like the Colosseum that's even fucking older. Right. 
it's just my little American mind can't wrap around anything happening before 1776. I'm sorry. I know. <laughs> I If there's one piece of advice I could give to any American, it would be go somewhere outside of the country. Oh, yeah. I mean. It's wild. Like, we're like, truly... oh, my God, this house is is built in the six, uh, 1700s. And we think that's so old. And like in Europe, yeah. that's brand new. <laughs> Exactly. Oh, my God. I, I went through the town of Ghent in Belgium mm-hmm. a few years ago, and I was looking at the buildings I'm like, oh, it's so dark and like uh, foreboding looking. And um, my cousins or my whatever, my dad's cousin, mm-hmm. he was like, oh, these are these are all built in the 1100s. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. I can tell <laughs> that makes sense. But to be like within these like these tiny little streets and these buildings, knowing how old they mm-hmm. are is so amazing. Yeah. Really so is. amazing. But like in the paranormal world, there's going to be shit there. Mm-hmm. There's going to be stuff. So I that's one of the reasons why I picked this as my topic, because nice. I'm sorry, an inn built in 1145, you're going to have lots of course of you're going to have shit happen. Exactly. It's almost a thousand years old. Oh my god. What are we talking about here? This oh building god. is literally almost a thousand years old. It's so weird to think about. <laughs> and I want to go visit it now. Not just because of that, but the stories and whatnot. Um, so when this was built in 1145, it was originally a home for slaves, masons, and other workers that were building uh, the St. Mary's Church nearby. Because churches were built by slaves. Mm, Yeah. Most of them. Um, There were streams on the grounds that had to be diverted around the church's site while that was being built. And according to many, many paranormal (laughs) people, they believe that this opened a portal for the dark energy once used in rituals performed by pagans in the area. I can already hear Zach Bagan's voice. Is this, is this the location of the portal for the dark energy? For the pagan rituals? The pagan sacrifices. Aaron, I don't know what happened. I just want to fucking choke you. Oh, man. I don't know what came over me. Sorry. <laughs> I feel a pagan on my neck. <laughs> Does it need to be said, y'all? Pagans were not satanic. The pagans oh didn't even gosh. believe in Satan. They would laugh yeah. at the idea. All right. <laughs> anyway, after the church was built and the masons and slaves and other workers moved out of the house, it became the home to the priest that served that church. Nice. Um, after that, I couldn't find a year. It served as a home for the priest for a while. And then it became an inn and public house. Um, my assumption would be maybe like 1500s, 1500s, that that probably could have happened. Um, and that's what it was for a really, really, really long time. Uh, the next change doesn't happen until 1968. So that's a long time to have been, you know, an inn. Mm -hmm. But in 1968, a man named John Humphreys bought the place to preserve it from destruction. Because you got to imagine a building that old. Jeez, yeah. It's not like in America where it's 100 years old, can't touch it. It's historic. 
everything's fucking historic in England. So, <laughs> you know, if it's fallen apart, maybe let it. But no, he wanted to preserve it. He fought a perpetual battle to save the the inn right up until his death in 2017. And actually, I think his daughter owns it now. So oh. it is still there. You can still go. Nice. Um, and he died. I don't know what, but he was old. So no, no ghost deaths. Gotcha. Um, now, his first night that he was living on the property, he says that he met the spirits that make the an- ancient Ram Inn one of the most haunted spots in England. Oh. He claims that demonic forces grabbed him by the arm and dragged him across the room from his bed. Ooh. And when he later, because it was his home when they found those skeletal remains, that further made him believe that these spirits were evil because mm. of the um sacrificing uh and whatnot gotcha but despite that despite his experiences uh they that he was never discouraged and continued to make it his residence until his death so like it's super spooky and scary but like also not enough for this old man it's one thing i didn't include i should have included a picture of him he's something else (laughs) he's he was a looker he had lots of hair yeah, like long white hair and a white beard. Oh, anyway, the silver fox, <laughs> Mister Humphreys. <laughs> now, night after night, the spirits returned, but Humphrey stuck it out for more than fifty years. So that's about how long he was there. There are several entities believed to haunt this inn turned home. This home turned in turned home. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most famous is thought to be a witch that was burned at the stake in the area during the 1500s, which was obviously the height of the European witch hunting. Oh, yeah. Um, it said that the woman fled from a potential trial, quote, trial, by mm. government-sanctioned witch hunters and took refuge in the ancient Rim Inn. She was, however, soon captured and then burned at the stake. Uh, so the room where she hid has been dubbed the witch's room and her spirits believed to be haunting it to this day. There are also stories of the former innkeeper's daughter hanged in the attic, the spirits of ritually murdered children, exorcisms, and other dark haunting events in this super old building. Orbs of these spirits have been photographed by paranormal investigators and the curious, which I will say most orbs are not legit. Yeah. I tried to get some good orb pictures. I couldn't really find any, so that's why I didn't include that here. Um, Strange lights have terrified visitors that have visited. That always interests me a little bit more. But the bishop's room is considered the most haunted room in the ancient room inn. And this is where bishops stayed in, you know, back when it was the priest's house, the bishops Mm -hmm. would come and stay there. Um, And it's actually reportedly haunted by several bishops not just like one bad one just like several well they're probably in a bad mood for having so many roommates in a tiny room (laughs) (laughs) they also think that there are dark monks and evil spirits including those bishops that are there um there's even a roman centurion who's appeared on horseback riding through the walls toward uh it was plumbers who were working on the house at the time who saw this centurion what riding through the walls god damn 
Now, it's said that the moment you enter the old inn, an aura of, like, dreadful foreboding envelops you. Which, I think even if it was very pleasant, you walk into a building that old, you're gonna Mm. be hit with something, right? Yeah. The bare walls, creaking floorboards, steep stairs, and mysterious shadows are sufficient to elicit the coldest of shivers, whilst the legions of ghost stories that come marching from its mist-shrouded past can chill the blood of even the most steadfast cynic. Oh my god. I love that sentence. (laughs) (laughs) Now, entering the building from the back entrance leads into the ancient ram's oldest part of the structure. All of Mm -hmm. it's hella old, but obviously it was built onto over the years. Um... I found something saying that this part was built in the 1200s, but it wasn't. It was 1145. Um, Mm. And in this original part, it still has a, like, medieval window frame. Which they're very, like, angular. They're so cool. They're so pretty. Um, So that's still there. And then the first room that visitors encounter after that is what's called the men's kitchen. And it's the former bar area. And this is where it... um, you can see that large hole in the concrete flooring that was made into a makeshift grave marker where uh, those skeletal remains were found. Wow. The rest of the floor, like that area, it is thought that there are more graves, but they kind of decided to just leave them alone, at least for now. Wait, so what happened to the skeletal remains that were found? I believe archaeologists removed them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Um, it's this area that dark shadow figures are common to be seen, as well as uh, lots of disembodied voices that are heard. Oh, fun. And I included a little photo here um, that I found of someone. This is not that room. It's one of the bedrooms, but there's like a little dark shadow off yeah. to the side. A couple little orbs. Also, um, is that like a bunny giving it get that shadow like the side eye? Yes. Is that like a real bunny? Like someone brought their pet bunny? It's- no. Or is it I don't a think so. Bunny? I think it's a stuffed bunny. Because the way that, if it's a stuffed bunny, yeah. like, it looks exactly <laughs> like as if this bunny is giving that shadow, like, the, the side eye, like, what the fucking hell? <laughs> no, I think it's, it's a stuffed bunny. I don't know why it's there, but he is looking at the shadow. Huh. Interesting. But this, this men's kitchen, this old bar area. There's also the sound of a crying baby that is often heard. Oh. No one knows whose baby. Oh, God. Um, it's also reported that there's a ghost that appears of a woman who was murdered by highwaymen. Um, oh. I think ju- just her ghost, no, nothing else from her. But following the flow of the building would then bring you to the entrance of the barn, which barn conversions are a very big thing. In England, mm-hmm. just saying. Um, so this is a bigger room. This was built sometime in the 1800s. And this area is allegedly haunted by a male spirit who has taken a liking to blonde women visiting the area. He's oh. said to sometimes touch them on the breasts and behind. <gasps> Sir. Yeah. Not a, not a, not okay. Mm-mm. Um. There's said to be another entity, though I saw, I kind of wonder if it could be the same. Because um, that one isn't physically described. Just what he does is described. 
This other one is reportedly a dark mass standing at about seven feet tall and is usually oh seen. Um, I think was he just seen at the entrance? I think he's usually at the entrance. Yeah. Um, he can be quite aggressive towards men as if he feels threatened by them and pushes them out of the space. So that's why I kind of feel like it could be the same entity that like, I like my blonde women and I don't need you men here because I had to do my thing. Interesting. Which is why he'd be at the, I don't know. I don't know. That's just my It's guess. interesting that it's so damn tall. Yeah, exactly. Um, unless they, you know, they do say some spirits take on whatever form they want to in the afterlife. Maybe this was a mm. squirrely little guy who was like, fuck this, I'm seven feet tall. <laughs> That'll be me. Five foot two? No thanks. Ten oh feet. Yeah. No. Graham, Graham knows. And just If I could do anything, it would be be taller. Every girl I see that's like six foot and up, I'm like, oh. And he'll point he'll point them out to me now. He'll be like, look over there. I'm like, oh, I need lifts. And I'm not even I'm five foot seven. That's like a little bit above average. Yeah, but I don't think average like is it. five six, right? I think so. Five 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 six something like that. Five seven. My God, you have five inches on me. But I I'm teeny. feel like I'm four foot. <laughs> I just always wanted to be five foot ten at least. And I think the fact that I never got there just I'm bitter. <laughs> I like to stand on things as my I my early twenties I lived in like five inch heels. Really? Yeah, because I just oh, man. I wanted just to be tall. Liked being tall. Yeah. So I get it. I get the spirit. Only that part. <laughs> Only that. Now leaving the barn, you go up. Um, the first set of stairs, which brings you to the first floor, because that, that's how floors work there. It's not like floor one, floor two. It's ground floor, right. floor one. Yep. People ascending the steep staircase. This is an ancient staircase. If anyone doesn't know, they were made to be very steep. Um, people have been known to be thrown up the stairs. What? Not down, but up by invisible hands. Oh, they're just and trying a- to help. <laughs> <laughs> There's a fo- there's actually more than one photograph that was taken here, but the first one that I've pictured was taken in June of 1999, and it shows a mysterious white mist about the height of a human ascending the staircase. But there's another one taken at another point in time, because there's different things hanging on the yeah. wall, but it's the same staircase. Mm-hmm. And what oh. I, I find interesting is that first one looks like a mist. The other one looks more like a light. But like, yeah. or something that's like draped. Yeah. But the same spot, which I think is interesting. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. I just, I just, I think you're right. They're just helpful. Maybe. <laughs> They're like, listen, sis, I know this, these stairs are steep and you must be tired. Let me, let me give you a helping hand. <laughs> Seriously. Steep staircases are so dangerous. <laughs> every staircase in the netherlands so the first bedroom on this first floor is the witch's room this is the room that she was said to have stayed in um 
It has been reported that when people go to investigate and they refer to her as witch, that she does not like to be called witch. And I'm sorry, but if I was hunted down because someone thought I was a witch, I probably would feel the same way about the word. Mm, yeah. Especially in like super Christian days. Yeah. She was probably a nice Christian lady. Yeah. <clears throat> She's manifested herself to many and commonly appears in the front window of the inn to passersby on the street. Her spirit is joined in this room by that of her, supposedly her black cat, and a couple of children who are rumored to have been murdered here. Oh. One visitor who visited this room, though, reported that, quote, the atmosphere was awful. I can only describe it as pure filth, dark and heavy. Oof. Um. And I found a little clip here from an investigation. I was trying to find the name of the investigation. The the person who wrote it in just wrote Ghostwriter. So I okay. don't know if that's like their official name or like. <laughs> First name Ghost, last name Writer. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a play on words because they're an actual writer. Gotcha. Not the Marvel person. Anyway, uh, they wrote, we decided to do a group vigil in the downstairs area near where the children's remains were found. This actually should have been in the upper part, but I put it here. Ian, one of the investigators, asked for any person present in spirit to come forward. Small knocks were heard, but due to the age of the building, this could have been the natural sounds of the many wooden floors and stairways creaking due to temperature changes. When we finished the vigil, one of the group uh, reported that she felt uneasy during the vigil and that she had a burning sensation on her neck. On checking her neck, she had a strange staple-shaped scratch. That's, there's a oh. picture below. Uh, mm -hmm. We asked if she had leaned against anything or had put her hand there, to which she replied she had not. She was very shaken by the experience and had to take a break outside to gather her emotions. Jeez. So I just wanted to include it like that was the one tidbit that wasn't part of a fucking YouTube video. Nice. I didn't have to try and sit through to <laughs> get something good. Yeah. Um, and they have a picture. Now we leave the witch's room. We go to the second room on the floor, which is the most haunted, the bishop's mm -hmm. room. Um, and like I mentioned, there's several bishops in this room. There are reports of monks. Specifically, two monks that are seen shimmering in one corner. So they're kind of like, we're here, but like, this is what we do. It's like the TikTok of Paul being shy. Have you seen that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> just don't know when to commit. <laughs> Very flaky. Very, but I, I assume they're still, you know, having their, like, vow of silence. They must mm -hmm. be those kind of monks. Ah, uh, yes. Now, that being said, witnesses have heard screams of a man who was reportedly murdered here by having his head thrust into the fire of the fireplace. Jeez. Yeah. Um, this is also where that Roman centurion was seen passing through the walls. This is where the plumbers were working and they saw that guy. Oh. Um, a ghostly cavalier has also been known to materialize by the dressing table and stride purposely across to the opposite wall. Alicia's purpose. Right? 
like this this is the men's room i know they had the men's kitchen downstairs but this feels like a very like masculine room yeah um all the entities that are reportedly seen in this room have all been described as being quote quite evil in nature by um people who've experienced them now whether they truly are or that's just how they're perceived who knows um there was a medium who during an investigation um was pushing open the door to this room and was then lifted off the ground and flung across the <gasps> corridor holy fuck i couldn't find which medium that was because i was like please have video <laughs> that but i couldn't find aggressive. it yes so you know that does give a little nod to the potential evil nature there <laughs> okay. um but they all also describe the atmosphere as just being oppressive and disturbing. Hmm. Now, John Humphreys, who I wrote the inn's former owner, he was the owner until he passed away, obviously. He, for some reason, used this room as his bedroom. What? I think Are you serious? A, this guy was so baller. <laughs> <laughs> now, okay, I take back what I said because of his next claims, because it's not a nice claim. He claimed that an incubus and succubus would visit him during the night and that he had even been raped by them several times. <gasps> oh, my God. Oh, poor guy. Yeah. Um, but he I'm still not... slept there. <laughs> wow. That's intense. Jeez. He also claims to have been thrown across the room <gasps> by an invisible force during his first night, which I mentioned that it a demonic yeah. force. Yeah. And interestingly, a phantom shepherd and his dog have been seen near the tor- near the door. I don't think they've really done anything. They're just kind of seen there. And <laughs> during an investigation um, where they were kind of being guided around the house by John Humphreys, he made a comment <laughs> to the person saying, rather a lot for one room. <laughs> <laughs> like, no shit. <laughs> That's like the best way to describe it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, he's just he's something. All right. So we leave those two rooms because it really is not that big of a place. Um, and then we climb into the attic, which was also called the Weaver's Attic. It's a low, like, ceilinged place. There's like wooden beams. It's that like triangular shape. So like Mm-hmm. You can walk straight up, but like there's a lot of ducking as well. Um, a lot of rafters. This attic space is directly above the bishop's room, and it served as the room of one of John's daughters when she lived there. Um, oh. And when she lived there, there was a feeling of intense melancholy, supposedly. Just like a sad room. Uh, this was also the the final room within the inn that was converted into a bedroom for the previous owner's daughter. So it was just like an attic, but mm-hmm. I don't know what they did to make it a bedroom because from the picture that's here, it looks like look an attic. Very... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, heavy dragging noises can be heard moving across mm. the, the floorboards, and it's pretty common to hear that. And if you're staying within the bishop's room, you can hear it going across the roof. So it's, it's not singular to just that room. It does. Like they'll over. hear it in the ceiling when they're in that room too. That's mm-hmm. disgusting. Yep. 
Uh, shadow figures and unexplainable knocking noises across the roof are also reported within the room. Um, and it's said to be haunted by an innkeeper's daughter who was murdered there during the 1500s. This is the one who was hanged in the attic. Oh. Now, I don't know why these did that. The ancient ram uh, is actually said to lay where there are two, where two ley lines intersect. Oh, really? One of those uh, inter- intersects directly through Stonehenge. Interesting. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know, ley lines are thought to be of spiritual significance with intentional alignments through sites of great importance. So it's thought that the ancient ram in feeds off of the energy produced by these ley lines and gains further energy from the ever mysterious Stonehenge. Um, add to this fact that the ancient Ram Inn is built over wells, uh, oh. being constantly surrounded by water, which is another factor thought to drive spiritual energy. Though some people think that this is um, has actually opened a dark portal directly beneath the inn. Oh, the paranormal so. community loves its portals. It really dark portals to be dark specific. portals. It's never light portals. Never. You know, fun just portals. A portal. <laughs> a portal. Just a portal. Who knows? That's dark. <laughs> um, these days, the Ancient Ram Inn is not a place that you can stay at. So John Humphreys died. I believe his daughter, Caroline Humphreys, is now in possession of it. And they keep it closed. But they will allow for um, paranormal, you know, investigators to come stay. Mm. Um do some investigations as well as archaeologists, which I think is, cool. you know, good on them Great. for allowing yeah. them to come. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and that is the ancient Ram Inn. Holy shit. That's a lot for one building. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see. I've got, I'm going to see if I can put his picture at the end of this. You should be able to see it once I add it, right? I can see your cursor hopping about. Okay, I put a picture of him. Uh, I think it was shortly before he passed. He does not even look real. <laughs> he looks like a—I don't know. Like he doesn't look real. Is this? He looks like a doll of an old man. Isn't he? <laughs> I just love him. I'm posting anything I can find now. I'm just like totally imagining him like giving the tour and his little like. British accent. That's a lot for one room. <laughs> <laughs> just you ever should, so polite. <laughs> you should see. I just I posted a third picture of him when he was a little bit younger, before he was fully white with a beard. He was something. Just a cute, cute little guy. But yeah. Oh wow. Loved that one. That was a fun and terrifying one. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a mix, right? <laughs> you know, I can almost feel how cramped it is in that building like i can feel yeah how small the area actually is Mm -hmm. and how crowded it is yeah like crowded because maybe they're not evil maybe they're just all in a bad mood because again like you're in my space imagine living with all these you know roommates for almost a millennia exactly yeah maybe they're just in a sour mood 
another good picture of the inn. I'm going to add it to the top here. Oh, wow. Very Tudor-like. Mm-hmm. Right? Just very yeah. typical when you think of a an English countryside building. Yeah. Or house. That, like, white stone and the, the wood. I don't know what you call mm -hmm. that. Like, beams or... Beamish. Yeah. yeah. Oh, very good. Very good. Wow. What an episode. We hope you all enjoyed both of our stories. I know mine was particularly heavy. Um, and then, Laura, you wrapped it all up with this amazing location. I definitely want to see it someday, but. Yeah. Sounds like they don't really let a lot of people in there, huh? No, you have to make reservations. Um, I'm not yeah. sure what mm -hmm. that's like now. Everything I found was from like 2016, like before he passed. So I'm not mm. sure what it's like now. Now, yeah, yeah. Um, well, everyone, I hope you're happy that we finally got an episode out on time. <laughs> For any new listeners, no, our episodes aren't usually out on Thursdays. They're supposed to be out on Wednesdays. <laughs> this past month has just been a tough one for it's, us. Yeah. Things things happen. They come up. Um, yep, they do. And uh, we just hope that uh, we can make it up to you for finally being on time and delivering two episodes in one day if you haven't already go listen to our listener stories episode number 16 that just um went out today with this episode and catch us next week for our witchy episode um we have some really good stuff coming for next week should be really excited so definitely tune in for that um so yeah thank you for listening i'm maria i'm laura and you've been listening to The New Witches. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we are at The New Witches pretty much everywhere. Um, if you'd like to contribute for an upcoming Listener Stories episode, we would love that. A few ways you can do that, go to our website, thenewwitches.com, and go to our contact page. Um, you can also email your um, story or question for us indirectly to us at thenewwitches at gmail.com. And lastly, we have a Google voicemail box that you can call in your story or question to. The phone number for that is 707-559-8111. You will have three minutes to leave your um, voicemail, whether it's a question or a story, and it's no more than three minutes. <laughs> Just letting y'all know. We will feature your um, audio and everything on the listener's episode too. Your voice will be famous. Um, and yeah, just keep supporting the podcast. Tune in next week. Um, tell your friends and family about us. Um, another way to support us is rating and reviewing us on Apple podcasts or whatever listening platform you're using right now. Um, and of course, supporting us on Patreon, find us on patreon.com slash the new witches. And as a patron, we will give you exclusive benefits like uh, exclusive monthly bonus episodes, um, private readings, thank you card, um, and you're added to our close friends list on Instagram, as well as added to our private Facebook community for patrons only. And that's everything. We love y'all. Thank you so much. Stay witchy. Keep it creepy. Bye. Bye. Bye.